0: Today's podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com and hear more at the conclusion of this podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation.
1: You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt with you as always with my friend, Carl Truman. Um, I'm a PCA pastor in Virginia. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Truman is a professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And uh, we, uh, we do this like every other week. And uh, so far, it's still fun, right, Carl? So, I mean, we'll continue to do it.
2: I think so. I mean, I was, yeah, I, I was saying to Katrina earlier on, you know, I find Todd a bit boring these days, but, <laughs> but I'm going to hang in there and they hope that he improves at some point. No, straight final, we were actually, we were in, in the break between recordings today. We're trying to remember exactly how long we've done this for. And it's, right, it's been a while. It's got to be 12, 13 years.
1: It uh, has been a while. I
2: think it was probably 2009, 2010. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, still yeah. going.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, what Carl and I believe is that we're, we're doing a public service here. It's inconvenient <laughs> for us, but but not yeah. so much so that, that we don't want to continue to be a blessing to you. We're taking so, on the
2: team of humanity. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: The, yeah. 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 Uh, but then the other reason why we do this is because every once in a while, we get to talk to Mark Jones. I mean, if, if, if that didn't happen, I, I think, I think we might bow out, but there's always this chance that Mark Jones is going to be on. And so we, we, we continue to soldier on. And it just so happens, uh, that Mark Jones is with us today. Now, Mark Jones is a systematic theologian. He is a pastor of a, interestingly enough, a PCA church in Canada. Um, and uh, uh, a, a prolific writer. And we've had uh, Dr. Jones on a number of different times because he tends to write really good and helpful books. And uh, one of his most recent projects um, is a really wonderful new edition of the classic from Stephen Charnock, The Existence and Attributes of God, um, along with with the production work of Crossway. Um, Mark gives us this really wonderful two-volume leather-bound edition. It's really beautiful, but it's it's the content, of course, which makes it so special. Obviously, um, this classic work from Charnock, but but um, Mark's uh, uh, commentary with, within the the, the two-volume work is is really really um, special. I keep the two volumes; they're still close by um, wherever I tend to be. I, I like to just grab one periodically and and sometimes find a random place sometimes begin to just go systematically through it again um but mark thanks so much for for being on with us and and for risking your
3: reputation in doing so (laughs) the pleasure is mine i um love talking with you guys so thanks for having me on absolutely now um why uh
1: why do christians need to read stephen charnock mark
3: okay that's
1: uh that was a tough one <laughs> you know what you know what i'm, I'm gonna do this for you I'm, yeah. I'm gonna i'm gonna ask another question first and then i want you to answer that question so first one would be just a little bit about the genesis of the idea of okay. this new fresh edition of the existence and attributes of god and then tell us um why our listeners why christians need to read Charnock.
3: all right that's i think i can work with that okay. um <laughs> so uh, I think it was Justin Taylor one day just sent me an email and said, "What do you think about um, a new edition of Charnock's Existence and Attributes of God?" And at the time, I thought, "Oh yeah, why not?" You know. And he just mm-hmm. said, "I edit," and and I, I actually don't view myself in uh, really a sort of editorial light. I don't think I have the natural giftings or abilities to do editorial work. In fact, it's always been a sort of weakness of mine. So. Um, so I obviously said yes, I'll do it, and uh, <laughs> and then I had no idea the 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 sort of amount of work I took on. It, it was sort of one of those, um, yeah, it sounds like a great plan, let's do it. And then I started realizing I wasn't just going to um, oversee some um, you know new font and things like that. So. Right. Uh, it really started with a suggestion from Crossway. I jumped on and then I realized I had to to get um, a bit of help along the way. and uh, and thankfully, Crossway were magnificent with their own sort of um help that they offered me. And so uh, mm-hmm. here you have the books,
1: yeah, yeah. And why do we um why do we need why do we need to read Charnock? i was I was introduced to him when I was a college student at a Southern Baptist university by an evangelism professor. I had no category really at that time for reformed theology or even the Puritans. I mean, I'd heard the word, but I'd never read a single Puritan. And I remember an evangelism professor telling me, you need to read The Existence of at- and Attributes of God by a man named Stephen Charnock. And I thought, okay. And I got, I got a Christian book distributor's catalog because this was in the late 1980s. And I sent away for their kind of big, thick, one volume copy of it. and so. Uh, uh, my my history goes back with the, that way, but that was the f- I think that was the very first Puritan work anybody ever told me I needed to read. Yeah. Um. Wh-
3: why do Why do we need him? Yeah, there's a lot of those stories. I think my first comment would be that I think pastors definitely need to read it. So mm-hmm. there's levels of need, and yeah. uh, pastors today need to read it. Uh, I remember talking to to Jim Packer in his office and asked him about Lloyd Jones as a preacher. It's just one of those things you. Mm-hmm. Comes up. That's,
2: and a, that's an amazing name drop, by the way. I just happened. <laughs> I was just chatting to Jim. Do, do you say Jim Packer or Doctor Packer?
3: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, he actually, I used to go to his house, and and my wife would come with me sometimes. And he, he, you actually got the feeling that he rather enjoyed conversations, and you weren't intruding. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I thought, well, we better get going, not taking up his time. But he didn't give off that feeling anyway. He, the, the points he said about Lloyd Jones that I think relates to Charnock because he said that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones brought God into the pulpit. And I think mm-hmm. if, if, if you want to uh, be commended by somebody for your preaching, that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, bringing God into the pulpit. And I think if pastors are going to bring God back into the pulpit, uh, it's going to start with knowing this God and in such a way that's profound, deep, um, lively, and that's what Charnock enables pastors to to do if they really mm. um, read it carefully and slowly. Now, then you get to you know the rest of humanity and Christians especially, and I think they should read it um, just because it, it's it's actually quite devotional. And yes, Charnock is surprisingly accessible. You know, I read Owen Charnock, Goodwin regularly, and Charnock's easy compared to those two, but he's no less I agree. profound. So. I agree. I yeah. think I wouldn't, there's some works of Goodwin and Owen I wouldn't want anywhere near a Christian. Uh, it just wouldn't be valuable. But Charnock, I can almost hand anything over to them and say, read this.
2: Mm. I That's mean, there are sermons, of course, originally. And I mean, yeah. there are lots of warm illustrations that make mm. the ideas easy to grasp. Perhaps, Mark, it strikes me that some of our listeners may, of course, not know who Stephen Charnock is. So I wonder if you could give us a 30-second
3: Stephen Charnock 101.
1: Yeah, he's sure. a mega church pastor from Atlanta. Yeah, and, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Mark.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wonder if he would be, but uh, <laughs> probably not. You no, know, he's, he's um, he was born uh, 1628 in London, and he, I think, by the age of 14 or 15, he went to Cambridge. So that was typical back then, of course. Uh, experienced a conversion. Um, later, went to teach at Oxford, but actually spent some time in Ireland and uh, was at Trinity College, and it was. Uh, In the introduction, I say he is one of the highest paid clergy of the time. I I don't know, uh, maybe he was a celebrity pastor back then with salary. So um, he was in Ireland then, um, you know, in 1660 with the, you know, the the restoration and the act of uniformity in 1662, he kind of became a nonconformist. And uh, what you find is that in London, he ends up um, sharing a pulpit with the other Puritan who I think has probably the same ability with turns of phrases as Charnock and that's Thomas Watson. So if you're to take two guys who have like an ability to, throw out a sentence and you go wow, it's those mm. two so um, I really um, sort of have a holy envy of the congregation at that time listening to those guys each week. It's not like yeah. sometimes a, a good pastor and then a weak associate or assistant comes in and you, you just go, oh boy we gotta put, sit through this guy uh, <laughs> you got Tarnik and Tarnik and uh, Watson so um yeah I think uh, and then he 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 died oh, I'm just trying to think now when he died. Uh, I, th- I think 1676, um, uh, yeah, I forget, mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But um, yeah, he, he was, uh, no, um, 1680, and he was 52, 52. So he, he, was,
2: he was actually younger than Owen, but predeceased Owen then. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I yeah. think, um, you know, Owen looked after himself quite well. And, you know, if there was a good plague in London, uh, Owen was using his contacts to find refuge in other places. <laughs> So, um <laughs> you do even have a position on masks i wonder <laughs> Maybe you wore three of them <laughs>
1: yeah so what is um what what is kind of the overall structure of of the work? i mean because i encourage people to reach Charnock for the very same reason you said as a puritan he, like thomas watson he's really quite approachable yeah and um you know i when i when i've recommended i've said now look it's it's thick there are some one volumes and there are some two volumes it's thick but don't let that scare you off um you know you don't have to read it all in three weeks yeah take your time and and i wonder if you could just kind of explain our folks how how, how's the work structured thematically
3: Uh, so you you it's interesting i think a lot of people um my suspicion was they were going to jump to the attributes so Mm -hmm. First off, he starts with the uh, existence and and um, of God, but in the existence of God, trying to prove that God exists, and it's a very classical way of doing so. But you know, full of his lively illustrations, of course. And um, there's a few things that are that are quite interesting. He also talks about um, a lot of important pastoral topics like practical atheism so Mm -hmm. you know the idea of atheism back in the 17th century is not quite the same thing as we might think of today it's a it's a shifting term so um his idea of atheism you know he really penetrates you know the heart of how christians ought to think about atheism both rational practical um atheism and then he gets into um you know God as a spirit, but then there's a lot on spiritual worship and um, there's a, an amazing section on just the nature of what new covenant worship is like. And uh, so after that, um, on God's existence, practical atheism and God as spirit, and that's an attribute, of course, mm-hmm. worship, he gets into the rest of the discourses and starts with the sort of absolute attributes. So um, mm. eternity comes first and then immutability and omnipresence. Um, then moves into knowledge and uh, um, wisdom and power. So, he doesn't finish the discourses. He gets to, there's 14 of them and uh, ends with, I think, dominion. So, I should should know this really much better than I do. No, uh, I think it's dominion uh, or patience, patience, dominion and patience. So, Mm -hmm. he basically um, doesn't cover every single attribute in a sense that is in the typical list, but basically he does because the extensiveness of the work, every attribute comes up. And yeah. because he holds to the doctrine of simplicity, for example, you'll find that you can't really understand one of the attributes without understanding others that that right. occur within the discourse.
2: What do you think uh, explains some of the contemporary rejection of the kind of classical theism that Stephen Charnock represents. I and mean, it strikes me as odd that we have people out there who sort of claim to be reformed. Mm-hmm. And yet at this point, which is, I would say, absolutely foundational, uh, they they reject the reformed tradition. I remember some years ago, uh, if I could name drop here, Richard Muller, who's a friend of both of ours, yeah. traveling in car with Richard Muller and, and him railing against uh, evangelical preoccupation with inerrancy, on the grounds that he said, you know, inerrancy is not as important as simplicity. And he's got if your doctrine of God is shot, the Mm -hmm. whole thing falls apart. What do you think it is, Mark? And maybe there probably isn't a single explanation, but why is it that you get people presenting themselves as Reformed who are so Mm -hmm. implacably opposed to the basics of, of Reformed theology, the doctrine of God? It doesn't get more basic than that.
3: You know, it's it's amusing on several fronts, especially because I, I find this in other, uh, you know, areas of theology too, but, uh, you know, I won't get into those. But I think the problem starts, you know, in the 20th century. I mean, that's a bit simplistic, but in the 20th century, even some of our guys we like, they're all over the place. There's things that classically are just not true. Um, mm-hmm. If we go back to our friend Jim, uh, you know, there were, there were a few things he said that sure. I go, hang on now. And, um, so the 20th century really was not a good century for the doctrine of God. And so I think there's a trickle over effect today that a lot of people, maybe they they just don't know. So I'm gonna hold some um, less culpable because they just weren't trained well. And so now with the Renaissance of sources and 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 so many young guys going and getting PhDs in Europe and things like that, I think we're starting to to claw back some of what we lost in the 20th century. Um, But then there's some guys who really are culpable because they've been confronted with their errors, like Mm -hmm. subordination, for example, which Mm -hmm. absolutely destroys the doctrine of God. I I don't even know what's left of the doctrine of God Mm -hmm. if you affirm eternal subordination. And um, it's as though there's something else that they're clinging on to so madly that they can't give up subordination. And so they're prepared to allow a classical view of um, God um, to go out the window and then uh, throw all sorts of accusations that this is, you know, Thomistic right. adherence of an idolatrous um, sort, and and that's just yeah. Was, we've
2: seen seen some of those tweets. We've quite,
1: we've been seeing some,
2: some of that quite, quite, quite a bit, and and it is
1: <laughs> it is odd, and and I think you're you're right in in terms of the fact that it there's this uh, kind of a knee jerk response that is well. You know this is thomism and uh he was a roman catholic and he got justification wrong and uh so he wasn't
2: a roman catholic of course because he's yeah. pre, well, i mean that, that's a he, it's pre, it's, pre, it, it, it's an he's anachronism
1: it, it is an it is an anachronism yeah. and yeah. that's part of the the problem is that yeah. um it, it, now we have some 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 folks who any appeal to classical theism um and to the Patristics, and to Thomas, is seen as this uh, kind of capitulation to to Rome, which is um, uh, stunning, kind of in its in, in its in its ignorance. Mm. But but one of the things that, that that is so sad to me because what's lost then, I think in some ways you become practical Bardians at that point. Um, not that Bart didn't do anything good, but of course, part of you know Bart hated kind of those, those categories of classical theism and any kind of delving into metaphysics. His you know, you, you we, we only know God in terms of his his economic you know works, his 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 work in redemption. Any other uh, you know efforts to contemplate you know the nature of God, the um the, the being of God um is 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 misguided. And it's been interesting to see some guys um on on the real, you know, conservative evangelical side of this basically repeat Bart's talking points on on some of those matters.
3: Yeah I, I, I kind of would like to know I don't um, I don't know of, of the necessarily all of these tweets you've seen, but I think one of the interesting things about Charnock is it, we're not just talking about quoting Aquinas, we're talking about quoting a whole slew of Roman, right. Catholic Jesuits, Dominicans, guys yeah. that you've never heard of. Um, you know these were the the superstars of the of, of that era. Um, and, and they had no problem you know, quoting Suarez, um, you know and, and other guys who who were Roman Catholic yeah, um, yeah. to buttress their arguments. So yeah. it's it's kind of like okay, the guys who were responsible for much of the great theology of the 17th century, including um, earlier on the Westminster Assembly Divines, mm-hmm. they were they were quoting all of these um, Jesuit Dominicans on the doctrine of God left, right and center, right.
2: Yeah, it's and, interesting as well. I was just there, a few weeks ago, I happened to be at a seminar where Father Thomas Joseph White was, yeah. who of course has written both an, a book on Christology and more recently a massive book on on the doctrine of God and the Trinity. Yeah. And what struck me in conversation with with him, and this is unusual, I found chatting to Roman Catholics, is he was very well read in Reformed theology.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He, the first thing he said when he knew was a Presbyterian was, "Oh yeah, well on the doctrine of God." There are some differences, but you and I have huge overlaps. He said, mm. "You're 17th century guys, the people who wrote your confessions, mm. that's basically we're drawing on the same kind of tradition here. Right. So yeah. he gets it. Historically, he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprising for such a bright and well-read fellow.
1: Yeah. He is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, I, so so in, in terms of, you know, Christian devotion, uh, one yeah. of the things that we rob ourselves of if if we go down this path of you know it's futile or even wrong or somehow crypto Roman Catholic um, to contemplate the being of God, God as He is in Himself, classical theism, um, uh, and and we must we must only reflect on God in terms of how He is revealed in Christ and as as Redeemer. Of course, we we love to contemplate and should contemplate on God as He is revealed as Redeemer, but but we rob ourselves of not just the not just um historic tradition but of so much scripture that is there to train our minds to contemplate god as he is in himself
3: i thought you know with Charnock, of course and we don't even have to do the either or right it's it's right. you know when you go through discourses there's so much of christ there so you know you can exactly. need it with with uh exactly. um, these guys they know how to they know how to talk about God in ways that seem to be, you know, heavy focus on the divine being and stuff, mm-hmm. but there's always a channel in which it runs back to the manifestation of the, an attribute, for example, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's not, it's never was for the Puritans and Reformed Catholics and, and either or thing. They I thought they bridged it pretty well. Um, I, I've never sensed anything other than a, a, a focus on Christ, but not just in a way that, Means you can't, you know, contemplate right. the divine being, mm-hmm. and and if you're going to get things like inseparable operations, right,
1: um to contemplate, you know, the 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 being and the the nature of God, of course you're going to get to Christ. You'll you'll get to Jesus every time, particularly if you have a a, a historic Trinitarianism. You know, I think about that great quote from from Gregory about you know I contemplate. No sooner am I contemplating the three than I'm back to the one, and vice versa, and yeah, yeah.
2: Well, as always, it's been a great pleasure to to chat to you, Mark. Uh, Mark, I was those- I'm, I'm sorry.
1: I was going to ask one more question, Carl. Can I do that, Carl? Can Carl, I please?
2: Have, have, have I ever been able to deny you
3: anything,
1: <laughs> <brother>? <laughs> So it struck me, you know, when I, when I saw Crossway first announce this this big, you know, leather, you know, beautiful leather, you know, it's not cheap. Uh, there's more expensive books. Like if you go online to try to find one of, you know, Carl's old books on Luther, it's like
2: $500. But,
1: you know, if, if, you know, and, and Reformation heritage books has run a good sale and that kind of thing, but people, but people have really been buying this, which has been encouraging. I mean, the thing I have heard from Reformation heritage and some other sources is that they've really yeah. moved a lot of copies of
3: this, which is encouraging. It's stunning. I, I was blown away by the, it, it almost had the sort of fear of missing out vibe. Um, right, it right. formed circle, maybe even beyond reform yeah. circles. So it's been great. I'm, I'm waiting for a, a, um, a check so I can go buy a Starbucks coffee and maybe a Rice Krispie square with it. And uh, so keep <laughs> buying people because it's, um you know, my, my coffees depend on your goodwill towards uh, Charnock and myself.
2: Todd, do I have your permission to close? Carl,
3: you may proceed.
2: (laughs) Okay. Hey, well, it's always a great pleasure to chat with our friend Mark Jones. Those of you not familiar with Mark, look him up on Amazon, look him up online. He's uh, uh, in many ways the quintessential uh, pastor scholar, uh, a faithful uh, minister in the pulpit, but also somebody who reads very widely, deeply, and writes very, very thoughtfully, and I think has placed Uh, a whole rising generation in his debt through the work that he's done on producing this rather super edition of Stephen Chan. And if you wish uh, to have the possibility of of obtaining a free copy, please visit our website, mortificationspin.org, where you'll have a chance to enter for a draw. We have, I believe, two sets to give away. Uh, If you are not fortunate enough to win one of those sets, go out and buy it. Mark needs to be able to buy himself that (laughs) Starbucks pop. We need to boost Mm -hmm. this man's royalties. Uh, In the meantime, all that remains is for me to once again, thanks, Mark, for being with us. Uh, Thank you for listening, and say we look forward to being with you all in two weeks' time.
3: Saints, they all tremble and cry for pain. For the Lord's going to come in His heavenly plane.
0: The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses, including two degree programs and Ph.D. supervision. Students can be enrolled at any time during the academic year. Still, in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, so Davenant Hall hosts regular residentials at the Davenant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for Spring Term 2023 classes running April to June is now open, closing March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class, with a two-hour Zoom class with expert professors each week. Classes include a Biblical Theology of the Sexes with Alistair Roberts, the Reformation in the Modern World with Brad Littlejohn, and more. Visit davenanthall.com to find out more, and davenantinstitute.org for an even broader perspective, davenanthall.com.